This is MJ. I love Star Wars. I'm an artist, an author, and a podcaster. Welcome to my fully operational analysis of The Mandalorian Chapter 10, which is Season 2, Episode 2. It's titled The Passenger. And uh, it was written by Jon Favreau and directed by Peyton Reed. I'm unfamiliar with Peyton Reed's work, at least (laughs) with Peyton Reed being the one doing the work. So um, this is a little bit of a... Well, I have nothing to go off of. All I have to go off off of is what I saw. And just real scattershot real quick. Uh, There were a couple things that were interesting. Uh, I thought it was cool that we saw... um, What's the lady's name? Peggy or Paggy or whatever. The uh, mechanic on Tatooine. Well, first of all, I thought it was super interesting that the episode picks up on Tatooine. And uh, by the way this episode ended, uh, I feel like it's going to maybe pick up with him flying off of the uh, ice planet or something. Or dropping off uh, the frog lady. And uh, then maybe learning about the covert or whatever. But it's very interesting. Uh, I thought that episode one and two, for the mo- with the exception of, or sorry, season one, with the exception of chapters seven and eight, were very distinct. You didn't know what was happening before. It just kind of dropped you in to a whole new thing. And here you are, you're with the Mando, and whatever's happening is happening. Now, there seems to be a higher degree of continuity, at least between these first two episodes. We'll see if it happens in the third episode. One thing I noticed that tipped me off to that was, obviously, the first thing was they were still on Tatooine. <laughs> the second thing is that when we got to see a close-up of him after he uh, got the child back from that knife-wielding scrapper or scavenger or whatever, um, he, uh, which, by the way, those guys knew to go after the child, which I don't understand why that was the case. They seemed to know the child was there, so if this, maybe these were bounty hunters who were still, um, like, working on the bounty, even though I thought Grief Cargo was supposed to have called it off. Anyway, I don't know. Um, regardless, uh, he was still covered in goo from being inside the crate Dragon, or possibly from being sprayed, but I think it was from being inside of the crate Dragon before it blew up. So he was still covered in that stuff. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh... I like how he's a man of honor and keeps his word sometimes, but then sometimes he, you know, just, like, kills you. <laughs> like, in the first episode, the guy who set him up, uh, you know, who gave him the lead to go to Tatooine, uh, he's, you will not die by my hand. And then he, you know, turns off the light and all those creatures come out and attack the guy and presumably kill him. Uh, and then this thing with the jetpack, uh, he killed it by uh, dropping it from there. <laughs> well, I'll let you go. I, give me the child and I'll give you this. Yeah, but can you keep it, I guess, is the, the technicality. So... Um, I, I would assume there would be some Mandalorian dishonor there, but I, I guess not. I don't know. Or maybe since nobody's around, he's, uh, kind of, it's like his, like, this is his rumspringer. Mandalorian rumspringer. That's, that's going to be the name of the episode. Now, um, so there was that, that, that was really interesting. The whole time signature thing. I really like that they're linking back to, uh, episode six of season one or chapter six, the, the prisoner. Um, and he's, you know, you've got Filoni again. I don't know who the other guy is. It kind of looked like Pablo Hidalgo, but it didn't sound like him. But, uh, I could be wrong. Anyway. Um, yeah, I could be wrong. Anyway. Uh, I thought that was neat that they showed up again. That there was the callback to the previous episode and that they ended up being the ones helping him. And, uh, I liked the explanation of why they were letting him off with a warning. So, that was pretty neat. That was pretty neat. Although, I wonder, it's five years after, are they still, like mopping up in a serious way because they said i think that's an eu term that i'm using if <laughs> they said in the books like yeah the mop-up of the you know post-imperial thing is uh you know a lot, a lot harder than we thought it would be anyway um 
But I thought that was cool that they came back and helped him, that they you know, let him off the warning, basically. And I like that he tried to uh, rope them into helping him fix his ship, and they were like, eh, nah, how about you just uh, take care of your transponder, or we're going to blast you next time. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I wonder if that was, like, the big ask that he was doing, and he figured, like, oh, if I ask for, like, the moon, they'll just, uh, you know, they'll say, screw you, guy, and get out of here and leave me alone, and then, you know, that's all I want. I want to be left alone. Um, I don't know. Pretty interesting. Um, so the episode felt kind of comedic uh, in some ways, especially with the child uh, eating this lady's eggs, and uh, they're unfertilized eggs, but it's still kind of, you know, weird and gross and uncomfortable, like... <laughs> He wasn't, like, murdering living things by eating them. They were their unfertilized eggs, you know? It'd be like... Anyway, it's like eating chicken eggs that are unfertilized, which most people do in my country anyway. Um, so, you know, it's fine. It's just weirder because she's, like, a fully sentient being. Um, I, li- I really liked that with the exception of her rigging up Zero to use his vocabulator to yell at Mando for being a, you know, for being not being a man of his word. There we go. Um, for being a letdown. Uh, that she pretty much was unable to communicate with the Mando, or with Din, and it was a, a whole back and forth, and I liked that. I liked how alien it felt. Um, oh, speaking of alien, I liked that they had a practical, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a practical puppet head that an actress was wearing, and that was super cool. The only time it was weird at all, like, the tongue effect was great, too. The only time it got weird was when they were running and she had to, like, sprint, so <laughs> she, like, hikes up her skirt and, like, starts frog jumping. That was, uh, that was really cool. I liked that a lot. It was... That felt, like, unintentionally funny, but also cool. Like, it was what she had to do with her physiology at that time to move as fast as she could to survive the situation, but it was also slightly funny. But more like you're laughing with it, not at it, I guess, is how I would uh, define it. So, I liked that. Um, another practical thing, the the mechanic, I'm just going to call her that because I can't remember her name, uh, although it starts with the P, uh, the mechanic, she uh, is in the cantina, or in that, this particular cantina, playing cards with an ant guy and he's just like he's a large ant man like <laughs> that seems so weird and that seems so incongruent it's funny it seems incongruent but it doesn't uh, at the same time with a lot of like what is established as sentient beings in uh the star wars galaxy so that was kind of weird i liked him i liked the effect she called him dr mandibles but i'm sure that's like a joke right um i, I hope so anyway uh but I thought that was kind of, that was pretty cool. Um, just the fact that they were using this big practical, you know, puppety thing, and um, that he had, you know, this information. It, like it seems a little too convenient, a little too contrived, uh, to some extent. Uh, that he's, you know, he happens to find her while she's playing a game with a guy who happens to know where uh, Mandalorians are, and then he happens to know. I guess he only knew of the Mandalorians probably because this frog lady was asking for transport and like, hey, if anybody, no, because she knows the Mandalorians. And she knows that they're on that planet that he's going... I don't know. I don't want to think through it. I don't want to think too hard. Um, because, like, I'm I'm not here to, you know, grab the show on a gotcha that they screwed something up. But, because I was really just talking about the creature effects and whatnot. Um, which were super cool. But, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm just going to leave it alone. I like those ice spider things. Uh, we saw them in Rebels, I'm pretty sure. And we get to see them here again. Which is uh, pretty cool. Um, they're just neat. It is very neat. Um, I, I like, well, I like them. I, I like seeing them here. They look cool here. They were super creepy. It was very effective. Uh, I thought they were, he was going to get off and, um, I love that huge one, which I think was a different one from the one that he burned or blew up or whatever. Uh, just jumps right on the ship and, you know, 
wrecks it uh, even further. That was super cool, and I just I really like um, like how intense that was, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't really have much else to say. It was a good solid episode. Uh, it was another thing. Well, I just I like how much he's struggling. Like uh, oh, another thing I wanted to mention. I love how the fact that he walked back all the way to town carrying all his gear. Uh, and the child on him, just because he had to. Like, it just, this way of life sucks sometimes, but it's it's what it is. You know, this is the way. Uh, and like I said, um, when I was talking about season one, my analysis there, like, I kind of like how hard his life gets to be, because we as an audience get to, like, live vicariously through that and, and thrill through it and, you know, thrill through the adventure, be excited. But, like, in reality, our lives every day are a struggle, or every week or every month or whatever. Like, Life is struggle. That's part of what life is, and that's just something we all have to accept and roll with. And uh, I really like how how he does that. Um, and I like how he exemplifies that. And it's not in a moralizing or uh, preaching kind of way. It's just like, hey, look, this is the life. This is the life of the Mando. And like, if you want to be like this guy, um, you know, you're gonna have to sweat a little bit and put some hard work in. And just, I like it. It's fun. It feels good. It's like a nice ethic that is being uh, not so much espoused but shown. And it's like there's an example of a way to live. And uh, you can live it if you want. Um, so that's pretty much all. Uh, I didn't notice anything too different with the music this time. Um, yeah, just the child seemed more vocal and more active and more like he's trying to speak whatever his language is. And it doesn't seem like baby babbling. It seems like it's his own language. Uh, and like English is probably, or uh, basic probably is not, galactic basic is probably not Yoda's first language. Um, although maybe it could be just this kid was raised, you know, in another sector with another group of, of people. So, um, yeah, I guess the only other thing that bothers me is speaking of, you know, sectors of people secluded and hidden off in different places. Uh, how many people know, like, did Mando, did Din tell uh, the mechanic that uh, he was in a covert of Mandalorians? Or do people just know that there are coverts of Mandalorians? All of this, are there, like, rumors like, oh, yeah, there's... You know, these Mandalorians, they almost got all wiped out by the Empire, but they're like little hidden pockets of them. They call them coverts, or we call them coverts. And they're just all over the galaxy, uh, and they're waiting for whatever. Maybe that's happening. I mean, there were a bunch of references last season to the fact that Mandalorians are hard to find. The, you know, the Beskar is easy to find. Uh, filling it with a Mandalorian is a little harder. So, I don't know. That was interesting. Yeah. I'll go ahead and call it there. Like I said, uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one, and I'm going to be, uh, well, just trying to do quick analyses like this um, where it's just kind of immediate reactions as opposed to trying to ponder and think about the deep things because eh, maybe I'll do it at the end after I've seen the whole season. Uh, I might have something big to say, but we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, you can find all my work at mjmunoz.com. For fully operational, you can go to mjmunoz.com slash fo. Uh, to find all of my analyses of Star Wars that I've done there. And uh, you can look around at my other stuff that, I've, that I you know, cover, that I do analyses of, which is comics, tokusatsu. Um, I, like, I did a bunch of classic Marvel stuff, so I did the first 13 issues of Captain America. Uh, I'm going to be slowly working my way up towards the 60s, um, kind of just touching on different uh, books there, mostly like characters that were created long, long ago and then got pulled in during the 60s when... Marvel was having a kind of renaissance, uh, like Namor and uh, Ant-Man and others, maybe even Thor. I can't remember how early Thor comes into the picture, but I'm kind of going to be doing that. And 
I also talk about tokusatsu. Um, my tokusatsu stuff is kind of on a break, and I'm going to bring that back in a while, but i got to get through uh, Mando first, so I'll stick around with this for a while. Uh, but um, Oh, and then after, uh, sometime after Mandalorian ends, uh, I don't know when The Bad Batch comes out, but there will be Star Wars books for Project Luminous, uh, such as, I can't remember what they're called, but one's by Claudia Gray, and another one I think is by Soul, Charles Soul. So those will be coming out. Uh, and I'll be covering those in like January, February of uh, 2021. So you can look forward to those if you're catching this analysis, you know, before then. And if not, they should already be there. So uh, I was just reviewing my books earlier today and I have those already uh, basically pre-ordered on my uh, Audible account. So uh, look forward to that stuff. Anyway, that's it for me now, folks. Uh, until next time, take care.